Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you're looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. We're going to wrap up our series on love by discussing why love is our highest goal. Why love is our highest goal. So I'm going to um, read the, the, the passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians 13 that we have used as the foundation for this entire series. It's uh, found in uh, chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians 4 through 7. And it says this, Love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. <clears throat> it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never fails. Over the last eight weeks, we have gone through these 15 characteristics that are listed in these three verses. We've gone through these at some, um, at some length uh, over the last eight weeks. And if you, if you missed any of those, I want to encourage you to go back and catch them on the podcast but just very quickly, if you're following along in our notes, we're going to recap the, the, those eight weeks just very quickly. So over the past eight weeks, we have discussed, uh, number one, that love is not a feeling. Love is not a feeling. Our culture promotes this idea that, you know, we have to feel something to say we love it or be in love. But that is not what Scripture tells us about love. The second week, we talked about agape. And if you don't know what agape is, there's four different types of love. And agape is the, the, the love that God has for us. And this scripture is encouraging us to have that type of love to, our other, to others, our brothers and sisters in Christ and other people throughout the world. <clears throat> the third week, we talked about love forgives. Talked about people who hurt us and how the, the, the need to, to forgive the way that God forgave us. The fourth week was love corrects, and we talked about, you know, it's never fun when God corrects us when something is wrong in, in, in us. It's never fun when that happens, but He loves those He corrects. And so if, if He's not correcting us, there's a great possibility that we are not truly His child. The fifth week we talked about love encourages and talked about how we can use our words and the words of our mouth and the actions of our hands to encourage others to pursue Christ and to build them up in a way that expresses and shows the love that we have for God to them. In the sixth week, we talked about love cares. And we, we talked about how um, uh, there was a caring attitude and spirit that needed to be in us as Christ followers because our culture has this really big, uh, I don't care about anybody else, it's just very self-focused. But when we care, we take the spotlight off of us, put it on other people, and we can find ways to serve them in their need. The seventh week, we talked about love gives, and this, this uh, message was not about money at all. It was surrounding how can we give, what can we do, how can we invest our own self into the lives of other people. And sometimes it's, it's appropriate to give money. There are moments where that's fine, but there is a greater way that we can give when we give ourselves to other people. And then last week, 
<clears throat> week eight of our series, we talked about love endures. Sometimes we think that if we forgive or we let something go or we keep no record of wrong for, for people who have hurt us, then, then we have acted in love. But love enduring means we go past that point and continue to love. That love was not fulfilled just in the forgiveness. We have a command from Christ to go far beyond. And so each one of these messages has brought its own level of encouragement and challenge to us as believers in Christ through His Word. And we're going to wrap it up by talking about why love is the highest goal, but I'm going to read a passage of Scripture out of Mark that might seem kind of odd to wrap up a series on love. You might, after I read this, you might go, what does this have to do with love? But I want you to stay with me. And there's a principle here that we can apply to our life as Christ followers when it comes to love. <clears throat> so let's read together. If you're in your notes, we can read these together. Um, if, if not, you can open up the Bible or just listen as we read it out loud. It's Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through 38. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields... His disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, Look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Jesus said to them, Haven't you ever read in the Scriptures what David did when his companions were hungry? He went to the house of God during the days of Abathar, who was the high priest, and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread, that not only the priests were allowed to eat, He also gave them to his companions. Then Jesus said to him, The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the people, not the people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. You may be asking, Matt, what does a passage talking about the Sabbath have to do with love? I want us to notice something here about the Sabbath. Now, if you don't know what the Sabbath is, the Sabbath is a... a, um, a day that was commanded by God to the, um, to the Israelites that they needed to rest. It was the final, you know, the, if you look at it, the final day or the first day of the week, however you calculate the week um, in your end, on your end, <clears throat> there is, we were commanded, or the Jewish people were commanded rather, to take a day and do nothing and rest. The Sabbath was actually one of the Ten Commandments, and the Jewish people took it very, very seriously. They weren't allowed to do anything. And when I say anything, I mean anything. They couldn't do any manual work or labor. They couldn't build the fire, travel, shop, buy anything at all, along with their other um, daily routines. If, If we were doing the Sabbath right now, Um, and we were somebody in our home, and we ran out of food, we wouldn't be allowed to go to the store and buy food. If you were, you know, ran out of gas on the way home from church, you weren't allowed to stop and grab and get any gas for, um, for your car. You weren't allowed to do anything. You weren't allowed to do yard work or clean the house, sweep the floor, go anywhere. It was a very, very stringent law. It became really stringent the, the longer time progressed, these Pharisees and the, and the religious leaders of the day, what they began to do was um, uh, put more burden and more labor on what the Sabbath was supposed to be. And what we're finding here is that um, uh, Jesus is, and his disciples in this scripture are walking through this field. They're walking through a grain field. 
And as they're walking through the grain field, they just casually break off the heads of grain or the the heads of wheat and they begin to eat it as they're walking through. But I want you to notice what the, the religious people did in this scenario. They looked at them and said, why are you harvesting grain? It was hilarious. They weren't harvesting grain. They weren't doing anything of the, of the sort. They weren't doing that at all. But what you'll find is religious people who are bound by rules are trying to burden other people with following these things to the letter of the law, but their heart remains hard. And so Jesus is, is looking at them and he's understanding that their heart is hard. He's understanding that what they're doing here is, is something that is um, outside of what he intended it to be. He meant the Sabbath to be this day of rest and to, to rejuvenate yourself. But here we have the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders. What are they doing? They are making this a massive burden for the people. The Sabbath was given to meet the needs of the people and not the people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. These religious leaders had turned the Sabbath into a massive burden and they were viewing the direction of the law as something that they needed to obtain by human effort. But Jesus tells them, my friends, you have this backwards. You're looking at what you can't do and you better not do this and this, this stringent attitude, but Jesus is saying that is not the intention of it at all. See, it's very funny how even people in our own country nowadays who are not even believers in Christ will use this same tactic on Christians. The religious leaders back in the day were looking at the Jewish people and going, if you were really following the, the, the law, if you were really God's child, you would do this. You would, you would not even pick those heads of grain because technically it's harvesting the grain. Unbelievers today may look at us as Christians and go, well, if you were really a Christian, you would sign up for my cause. Or you wouldn't judge me. Or you would think like I do or let me do what I want because it's all in the name of love, right? You're about love. And if you tell me what I'm doing is wrong, this is, it's really love. That's not you really doing the right thing. And it's very similar between what the people who don't believe God in our culture today do along with the religious people in our culture today. I can say that there's similarities here because I have been both of these people. I've been someone who didn't serve the Lord and I have been someone who was very legalistic and very rule-oriented when it came to following Christ. And I, and I recognize a familiarity as I sat in both of those positions at different points in my life that my heart was hard in both places. It's as if the religious people were burdening. It's the next line there in your notes. It's as if the religious people were burdening the people by laying a heavy weight on their back while warning them not to drop it. But Jesus shows them there should be no burden in the Sabbath. Now, I'm a guy who likes motorcycles. Um, I'm, I'm kind of doing a little happy dance because a couple weeks ago my wife gave me the A-OK to go look at another one. And so we are, so I'm in the process of that, but I love riding motorcycles. The reason I love riding them is because when you get on two wheels, 
throw a helmet on and a jacket and all your proper equipment and stuff, and you go rolling down, you go rolling down the road. Um, it is just something, it's kind of like therapy for me. I don't know if it's like that for you, if, any, if there's any motorcycle riders out there, but it's almost like some type of, uh, uh, just a release, like therapy. It's like, oh man, it's just the wind and you and riding and you and the bike and then you are looking off in the distance. You know, if you're riding out here in Arizona, you could see the, the, the beautiful uh, landscape and the mountains in the background. You can see the gorgeous Arizona sunsets. You know, sometimes people might run up to Flagstaff to get away from all the heat that we're, you know, we experience down here. There in uh, certain parts of the year, but it was just something that was really freeing. And so I want you just to imagine with me real quick that you are a motorcycle person as well. Okay. <clears throat> and so I came to you and I said, Hey, I got a gift for you. I'm going to give you this motorcycle. And you're excited and happy and man, this is, this is really awesome and I give you the helmet and the jacket and the boots and all the protective gear, the glove that you're supposed to be wearing. And I'm telling you, man, I'm showing you all the little things about it. This is going to be great. You love riding. I love riding. This could, just go out there and it's going to be a blessing to you. Have fun and just enjoy it. And so imagine for a second, here you are with this, this motorcycle that is kind of like, man, this is we're doing really good here and we and we really like the we really like the bike and we're just sitting on it and kind of measuring out how how the handlebars are and how the the gears are and where or the peg position for our legs and if it has footboards or whatever and you're getting really excited about it and then somebody walks up and says hey um i see that matt just gave you a motorcycle yeah, isn't this great? This is awesome. And you're excited and tell them about it. And then they come along and say, I need to tell you something very important. He doesn't want you to mess up this motorcycle so you can't ride it. The confusion might set in for a second and go, wait a minute, I was just given a motorcycle and it's, I love riding and feeling the wind on my face and uh, against me as I'm going down the road. What in the world do you mean that I can't ride it? Oh, um... You can't ride it, you have to carry it. We don't want to scratch it, we don't want to ding it, we don't want to you know, put a whole bunch of miles on it. So instead of you being able to ride the thing that he just gave you, I want you to pick that up and carry it. Are you kidding me? I mean, the thing's like 500 pounds. If you put all the gas and oil and fluids in it, it's even more than that. This is crazy. How in the world am I supposed to, uh, uh, how am I supposed to carry a motorcycle around and what's the point of that there isn't one see if you were given something to ride and to participate with that is something that's supposed to be a blessing to you but it's used incorrectly it becomes a burden there's no point carrying the motorcycle it's being misused if I were to stop carrying it and allow it to serve me, I can ride it and get the enjoyment it was designed to bring me as it does what it's supposed to do to serve me. In a similar way, this, uh, the, the same thing is happening here with the religious leaders who are telling, who are, who are telling um, Jesus that, hey, you better not do this. Your people better not do this. And they're, they're giving them all these things that they shouldn't be doing and the Sabbath has turned from a day of rest and something that's supposed to be benefiting them into something that is wildly heavy and burdensome to deal with. 
So not only have, have the, the religious leaders been triggered by this crazy thing that the disciples have done, who they dared to snap up a, off a piece of grain and eat it as they were walking along the road. And Jesus sees past their little performance of rules and regulations of these Pharisees, and he decides he's going to do, take things one step further and deal with their heart. So let's continue reading in Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Jesus, <clears throat> excuse me, Jesus went into the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. That's nuts. Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, Come and stand in front of everyone. Then he turned to his critics and asked, Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath, or is it a day for doing evil? Is it a day to save a life or to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. And then he said to the man, Hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. It would be easy to, <clears throat> to look at this, uh, at, at this um, story and say, man, this is, um, Jesus is kind of using this to, to really get at the, the, the religious leaders. He's really using this to kind of poke at them. He's using this to try to kind of upset them in some way and teach them a lesson. And that's how I read this almost every time that I came across this story up until this week. See, this week, what I saw here was Jesus healed this man from a heart of love. And as he's about to heal them, he looks at the Pharisees and religious leaders who are sitting by in judgment that he would dare do something like this or work on the Sabbath. He looks at them and he's saddened because their hearts are so hard that they cannot even recognize that Jesus is healing a man who has a deformed hand. No, they look past it and go, we're getting ready to tell him that he broke the law. They didn't get it. They weren't acting in love at all. They were using the Sabbath incorrectly. They were carrying the motorcycle. Something that was designed to be a blessing to them, they decided they weren't going to use it that way and that they were going to be the ones to tell everybody how they needed to act and they carried the motorcycle. And then here's Jesus who sets the motorcycle on the ground and doesn't only ride it, he does donuts in the parking lot and pops wheelies running down the street to show them, stop carrying it, you're using this wrong. This is supposed to be about freedom. This is supposed to be about rest. The religious leaders saw a burden and Jesus showed them freedom. I want to talk just really quickly about three things from this passage that really translates into the heart that we're trying to communicate about love. <clears throat> Number one, love is not a law. Love is not a law. Sometimes when we as believers in Christ are wronged by others, we, we say to ourselves, well, man, those people did me wrong, but 
I'm a Christian, so I got to love them. Or somebody cuts you off on the freeway and you're tempted to give them the one-way sign. <laughs> you're like, no, I better not do that because, well, I got to show love. Someone tells a lie about you at work and you catch them in the break room or in the elevator in that awkward moment. You turn to them and be like, you better be lucky that I am having to love you right now or I would turn into you. If that is what we view love as, we're looking at it as a burden, not a source of freedom. When we keep no record of wrong, it's a noble effort, but it's supposed to be freeing for us. Not envying others is a correct act, but it's also one that releases a burden. Rejecting arrogance is a worthy effort, but humility encourages peace. When we view love as a law instead of the action of a forgiven heart, we take the same approach as the religious leaders. It's like we're carrying the motorcycle. We have viewed love incorrectly. When we keep no record of wrong, sometimes we can look at it and go, well, that was on one of the messages and I'm not supposed to keep records of wrong. And so how do I, well, I got to think about something else. I got to wipe this off of my mind. And we look at it like, oh, I got to follow the rule because I'm a Christian guy, right? I'm a Christian lady. I'm a, I'm a Christian person. I got to follow the rules. But that rule, that principle, that characteristic of love is meant for you to give it to someone and release yourself of the burden. I don't know about you, but I have many times in my life kept a long list of people's records of wrong. And I was worn out, tired, and miserable. I did so much mental work of trying to be like, oh, this person did this and this and this, and then they said this, and then I heard they said this, and before long, I got a list several pages long in my mind and in my heart that I continue to go over and I seethe over, and I'm not treating them right. I'm waiting for them to, to say the wrong thing to me before I lash back out at them and my friends. If you're in that position and you're going, well, I better love, then love is merely a rule because when you truly love and you keep no record of wrong, there's a burden that is lifted because I don't have to think about everything they did wrong to me. I can let it go at the foot of the cross and let the love of God raise up in me and I can be more like Him. I can. He must increase. I must decrease. Envy and jealousy run hand in hand. And I don't know if you've ever been a person who has been envious or jealous of someone else or their life or what they have. I have. And it's so, much, it's so much of a burden to, to carry constantly, to be, to, to, to be undercover jealous, to be privately angry, and then try to put on that good face that I'm supposed to be loving. And so when we look at it like that, oh, I have to love, I have to love, i got to get rid of this. No. It's designed to free us. It's designed to give us peace. And designed for us to reflect what's been given to us, to other people.
Number two, love is not a tool. Love is not a tool. Now, I'm not a real handyman type of guy. If you are, um, me and you need to be friends because I need to fix things and half the time I don't know how to fix them. Now I got the basic stuff down, right? Like I can go and look at like a loose doorknob and see that it has a Phillips head screwdriver and pull one out of the toolbox or the closet where I keep all my, you know, my, my, my tools and I go and tighten it up. If there's a handle on the oven or the stove that's kind of, you know, loose, I know how to look at that and, and get in there with a screwdriver or something really basic. I know how to, you know, follow some instructions if it's not too wildly detailed on stuff to fix with cars and stuff, but I am not a handyman fix-it guy at all, at all. But when you do have an issue, like let's just say real quick, like something easy, like a doorknob is loose at your home. When you, when you see, you recognize that there's a problem, you go to where the tool is stored, you take the tool and then apply it in the correct way to correct the problem, and then you go put the tool back and then everything's better. And there are a lot of people who view love in this way. Someone hurt me or did me wrong, so I need to pull out my tool of love and I need to fix this and then put the tool away and then I can move on. But what this does is makes love this situational thing. It makes it have there be moments and applications where we have to love and then we put love away. See, my friends, love is not a tool. It is the substance of a changed heart. Love is the substance of a changed heart. Scripture goes one step further and it says love is a fruit growing in the heart that has been changed by the Holy Spirit. Love is a fruit that's growing in the heart that has been changed by the Holy Spirit. When we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, the things that grow in us, if we are submitting to Christ and the Holy Spirit's living inside of us as born-again believers in Christ... The very first one is love. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Love is the first thing that should be growing in us. If I were to take a piece of fruit and put it in my toolbox or the cabinet and leave it there for three weeks, and then when a situation come, came up to where I need love and I went back for it, what do you think that fruit is going to look like? It's going to be rotten. It's going to fall apart. It's going to taste bad. It's not going to be, it's not going to be in, in the environment it is intended to be because love is not a tool, my friends. It should be something that's growing from our hearts, growing from us. We have to guard our heart. And Solomon, the wisest man not named Jesus, to ever walk the, the face of the earth in the book that he authored in Proverbs, chapter 4, verse 23, says this, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Notice that it doesn't say guard all the rules that burden you, um, that people burden you with, because by keeping them, you'll prove that you're worthy to get into heaven. And you may chuckle at hearing something like that but because that would never be something that we would say, but how many of us live like that? 
I'm not guarding my heart. I'm guarding the rules, all the things that I think I'm supposed to be doing to try to earn love from God. But we have talked about in this series that we cannot earn that love. It is given to us freely through faith in Christ. Why do you need to guard your heart? It determines the course of your life. That means that if there is anger, hatred, bitterness, hurt, frustration, irritability, if those things are allowed to grow in our hearts, then what's going to come out of our hearts is, are, are, are the things that are rooted there and we are going to follow a path that is impacted by anger, hatred, frustration, and the like. And if we follow, if, the, if our heart determines the course of our life, and we allow things that are opposite of God, we allow sin, we allow hurts from people in the past to to linger around and continue to bleed and tear us up as we mull over them time and time again, and we get stuck thinking about them and reliving the situation. Next time I won't do this. Next time I'm not going to let anybody do that to me. Next time I'm going to know better. And And we use that sense of vengeance and anger from our heart and we allow that to grow it's going to impact the way that we live it's going to impact the decisions that we have in our life my friends love is a fruit not a tool and when we submit to God and we allow his Holy Spirit to do its work in our hearts what happens is that love begins a natural process a natural spiritual process not a natural natural flesh process because that doesn't happen with us he causes those things to grow and loving people becomes less and less of that thing that I have to do or the tool I have to use in this moment it becomes the way we treat people it becomes the way we look at things and it begins to change the direction of our life you can build an entire purpose off of a heart that has been corrupted by sin and lust and anger and frustration and hatred you can build an entire uh, an, an entire purpose that you have determined in your own heart but if we're going to follow the purposes of God which is to love him with everything we've got and to reflect that love to other people and give the love that's been given to us to everyone else then we're going to have to guard our heart we're going to not look at love as a tool but as something that's growing in us because the spirit of God is in us and we are continuing to submit to his spirit. <clears throat> Last point for this message in this series is this number three. <clears throat> love is not optional. Love is not optional. You know, scripture has a lot to say about the subject of debt, like financial debt. Um, Proverbs, uh, the Solomon, who wrote Proverbs, as we just discussed in the last point, he spent an entire chapter about debt, um, or in, in Proverbs 6, he talks about, frequently in this chapter, about not becoming a co-signer on someone else's debt. And if you don't know what that is, it's someone who may not have the credit or the ability to, to borrow money from someone, and you step in and, as a guarantor and say, hey, they're going to make the payment, 
They're going to do all this stuff and I'm going to sign off on it. If they don't make the payment, I'm going to. And you kind of co-sign on the loan. You co-sign for the debt. Proverbs says we should not be doing this and that you should actually go back to the person you made the deal with and even if you have to beg them, find a way to get out of it. And it says getting out of this particular co-signing of debt, we should get out of that with the same intensity that a gazelle runs from a hunter. It should be that level of intensity. I have to get away from my life. Proverbs 22, 7 says this, that the borrower is a slave to the lender. See, when we have a debt, it is something that is owed to others. And when we say it's owed to others, there's not an option to pay it back. We have to pay it back or there is some action that comes, some kind of default or judgment that comes back on us. It is something owed to others. Solomon deals on a financial end about getting out of debt, not co-signing on people's debt. But as we look deeper into Romans chapter 13, Paul says there is one thing we're supposed to be completely indebted to and never get out of debt from. Let's read verses 8 through 10. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments that you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. There is no option for us, my friends, to to act in love, to try to live a life of love. If we're a Christ follower, if we say that we have given our lives to Jesus, we're following His commands, we are following the way that He says to live and that being born again, that that has happened to us, then this love is not optional. It is something that we need to submit to the Spirit of God and allow to grow in us. For all you legalistic people out there who are, who are like me and you're kind of like, man, I, I hate it when he talks about legalism or he, he, he assaults the rules like this. I understand what you're feeling. But I want to draw you to this scripture. All of the laws that are listed in the Ten Commandments that impact other people are fulfilled. Love is the fulfillment of the law. We don't have to nitpick people apart. We don't have to drum up some scenario to be like, well, actually, you're not really keeping the law because that is the thing that's most important to us. We can let the weight of that all go. And realize that if we act in love, we have fulfilled the law. Love is not a law. It is not a tool. And it is not optional for Christ followers. We've talked about three things that love is not. 
but I want to read 1 Corinthians 14, the very next chapter. We spent all our times in 1 Corinthians 13. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 14. The first six words define what we are supposed to do as believers in Christ. You ready? 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. Let love be your highest goal. This is a tough one because we're not supposed to be comparing our life to other people and what they have and what they do. We are supposed to take our beliefs, our life, the direction that we're going and lay it on Scripture, lay it on the fire of Scripture and see what is consumed and burn away and see what stays. When love is our highest goal, it means we deprioritize, we knock down the priority list, everything else, the business, the achievements, the the recognition, the I'm going to create this kind of lifestyle for myself, I'm going to do this for my life, my family, my kids, I'm going to hoard and do this thing that is completely focused on me that is my goal to make it to make a name for myself to to get the visibility and recognition that I think I deserve because I'm a pretty smart guy Paul is completely destroying that by saying let love be your highest goal not a goal not somewhere up there in the top five or the top three on the mount rushmore of goals it's one of them no it has to be our highest goal it has to be there's no way it's not going to be if we are submitting our hearts to god why the fruit of his spirit begins to blossom in the heart that is free, in the heart that has removed the sin, who has, who has not fought the Holy Spirit when He shines a light on the things that we have done incorrectly. My friends, it, it's that heart that says, tell me what I've done wrong. It's embarrassing, but I want to fix it because you love me in spite of it. And that blows my mind. And I want to love you that way. And I want to love other people that same way. This has to be our highest goal. It's not an easy thing for a culture that pushes ambition. Go after it. Whatever makes you happy, you do. No. We have to reject the culture and the imprint that it's had on us as Christ followers and say this, I am going to follow what Scripture has laid out for me, what God has spoken to us. I'm going to follow that. If you're someone who's sitting there right now and going, man, my highest goal has not been love. You know what that makes you? Human. It makes you human. I'm not giving you a pass. I'm saying this is a natural thing. Don't take all this extra time to beat yourself up over it. Just lay your life on Scripture and allow this to change you, allow the Spirit of God to shine light on the things that need to change. And my friend, submit to those things. Let them go. You're going to find that those things were so heavy to carry 
And God didn't, is not intending to burden you. He's intending to give you freedom.